You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior Rx Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist Radio Podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kyle Frazier. Dr. Frazier is a clinical assistant professor at Washington State University, College of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Welcome, Kyle. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Donna. So um, Dr. Frazier is being highlighted this month um, for the authorship of Unintentional Diphenhydramine Use Leading to Falls in an Older Adult. And this has been co-authored with Dr. Kimberly McKiernan and Dr. Andrew Yabasuki. Um, And this article can be found in the March 2020 issue of the Senior Care Pharmacist. So, So I just really loved this article. I think that there's so much great information in this article. Um, it really highlights so many issues that our older adults um, deal with, and, and even us as pharmacists trying to provide care in um, healthcare in general. Um, this article talks about rural health care, older adults, falls, inappropriate meds, health literacy and confusion that older adults might have, um, even with selecting over-the-counter products medication therapy management, lifestyle, and adherence. So, um, you know, Kyle, I have to say hats off to all of you on such a great article and just really touching on so many things. I would love for you to highlight some of these items in a little bit more depth um, as to um, how this all came about and in this case in general. Yeah, Absolutely, Donna. Well, thank you. And and it's very encouraging to to hear that, you know, you, you're realizing that how many issues this this little project actually highlighted. And it is so exciting for us to be doing this work. Um, and really, I guess I could start with them. Um, I mean, as most of you and, and as you are, I'm sure, aware, you know, management of chronic medical conditions is just one of the greatest healthcare expenditures in the United States and such a serious public health concern right now. And and, you know, so many foundations and its institutions are looking at how do we address this? And and so this was just part of a really small pilot project that we uh, that we came up with here in Washington state to uh, to actually do a novel uh, use of pharmacist home visits to kind of look at more of our uh, chronic disease state management within our rural populations to see. You know, okay, it looks like these patients are on the correct medication regimens. It looks like, you know, from our view, it looks like everything on paper should be working out, yet they're still not getting the outcomes that we're expecting, and and they're still one of our higher risk population groups. And so, how do we address those types of things? Um, and so, really, this program uh, started as a grant from one of our local philanthropy foundations uh, serving our rural and needy territories in Washington State. Uh, and ultimately, what they were looking for um, is some su- unique solutions. Is to already, what I already mentioned is, uh, you know, how do we deal with older chronic older patients with chronic medical conditions? Uh, you know, and they're considered high risk and high cost to our healthcare system. Um, yeah, and so you know. The idea, you know, I came into this project actually as a first-year pharmacy resident back in 2016, uh, and basically we had this goal of bringing this new innovative service delivery model into a 
into our regional healthcare system that was going to be cost effective and provide comprehensive care to our patients. Um, but really what we wanted to do was focus on the resources and the programs that were already in place. Um, since we know that, you know, most healthcare professionals, you know, doctors, pharmacists, nurses, they're already so great at what they do as individuals. Uh, but we need to look at how can we work more efficiently as a team. And so my team's role was to develop this medication referral pathway um, where really these this population group, uh, we had referral pathways <clears throat> to one, identify these patients. So some of those nurses, doctors, those siloed individuals had a referral pathway over to a pharmacist uh, to complete you know, review their medications and disease state management in hopes that we could decrease risk and increase positive clinical outcomes. And so some of the things that you already mentioned were, I mean, this was, we had no idea what to expect, but we definitely, all of these things were things that we, we encountered with them, virtually every patient that was referred over to us. So, um, you know, some of the biggest issues we found were lifestyle uh, adherence uh, and just unique issues really to our rural healthcare population. <clears throat> That's great. So you mentioned this whole team approach, and this is really interesting with the IPE, uh, the interprofessional um, education is what we're doing at the colleges, but you're really practicing the whole interprofessional team. And that seems like a, a just a wonderful use of everyone's efforts. Um, so, I, and I love that approach. Um, so can you talk a little bit more maybe about the MTM approach and the referrals and then your your role for the MTM part, the medication therapy? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the vision of the this project, as you said, was really a t multidisciplinary team approach. And um, so, you know, we had uh, at the table, we had a lot of provider champions, hospital administrators, community health workers, nurses, pharmacists, so on and so forth. Um, and so what our idea was is to utilize um, our community health workers uh, nurses and social workers who are going out to visit these folks on a regular basis already. Um, and that would be kind of our foot into the into the door, basically. So we partnered with these folks um, and actually had them uh, identify patients where they thought, you know, we're thinking that there might be a medication problem going on with this patient and they may benefit from a uh, pharmacist home visit. So they, that was kind of our first line um, uh, identification process was going out to these organizations who who re really were already going out to the home to provide other services and then try and help us identify folks that could use a little additional assistance um, in their medication regimens. Um, yeah. And then so after that, um, you know, once we had somebody that was identified, uh, we would do a complete workup uh, as many pharmacists do with, you know, um, doing a, an MTM. So looking at their medications, uh, trying to identify any problems that we found on paper uh, and getting as prepared as we possibly could. And then we would schedule a time that coincided with uh, those visits that were going on with the social workers already. So we would go out as a team and the social worker was the ones who kind of introduced us and explained, you know, explained the project ahead of time um, so that we could actually go have a one-on-one -on -one face visit with these patients and, and help identify some of the issues. Can, can you tell us a little bit about this actual case and what you uncovered Absolutely. with the case? Yep. So this case was very interesting. And this is this is not unique. We actually, I mean, this we I feel like we could have written up case reports on on any of the patients that we've seen. So I want the audience to keep that in mind as we go through this. But um, so this patient was referred to us by a social worker 
the patient had um, recently been experiencing uh, quite a few falls, and they they assumed that maybe there was a medication uh, issue related issue that was going on there. And you know, after reviewing the medication regimen, there was a a few things on there that could have contributed to dizziness or falls, but uh, nothing that really stood out to us. And so we thought, you know, we need to just go go visit this person and, and see what's going on out there. And so once we did uh, go out to the home, uh, we get, you know, it starts to paint a completely different picture for these patients. I mean, you, you really start to get an idea of... Um, where they're putting their medications gives you a lot of insight to, to, you know, why are these medications up on the counter versus these ones are, you know, on top of your fridge. And, uh, you know, once we went out there too, you, the carpets and things, we had rugs that were kind of uh, turned up that were fall risks right there. So we were identifying physical fall risks and kind of clutter throughout the household, um, adherence issues. And so we sat down with the patient and went through all of his medications um, and the interesting thing is that we just happened to notice a bottle, uh, that was sitting on his coffee table that wasn't with the other medications. And so we said, you know, what's the deal with this medication over here? And, um, you know, we kind of probed him on it. I looked at it and it was uh, Tylenol PM and I said, Oh, well, you know, what's, what are you using this for? And, uh, you know, he was saying, well, you know, I have really bad back pain. I've had back pain uh, after an injury I had, you know, when I was a little bit younger and I've had to use more and more of that. And so we got to talking and, and I mean, he was using, uh, he was using upwards of six to eight of these tablets per day and, and we're talking Tylenol PM. So we have a big amount of diphenhydramine in there that, you know, obviously could be contributing to that, those fall risks. And so, yeah. And so, you know, I kind of probed him a little further because in this patient population, typically we see, you know, we have um, uh, insurance plans that are going to cover most of these medications. And this just happened to be one that wasn't covered. Um, and so he decided to independently buy this on his own and without knowing that there was anything in there that could cause Cuscot Falls. He just assumed that this was just straight Tylenol and this was being used for his uh, for his back pain. And so, you know, after just a little bit of patient education, uh, we, we basically discontinued that Tylenol PM part, uh, referred him back to his regular pharmacist who was able to then get Tylenol with the same Tylenol dosage that worked really well for him for pain uh, and actually covered it through his insurance. And then we got that added to his other regimen. Uh, and then the falls, actually, we followed up with him. The falls had actually resided and he didn't have any issues after that. So it was pretty cool uh, intervention. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I just, you know, as we talked about earlier and, and, you know, all of these things that are highlighted in this article is just patient selection. It, there's, it's so overwhelming um, in the pharmacy aisles to pick the right product. And, you know, he's thinking he's just getting Tylenol and whatever this PM is, whatever, you know, and not necessarily knowing that it can be an inappropriate medication for him. So, um, and it sounds like he never reported. He must have, he fell and it sounds like he had some significant falls um, in this article and he never you know, he probably just told people even at the hospital, oh, I take Tylenol and never specified Tylenol PM. So um, if you're not seeing it, you're not necessarily asking which Tylenol are you using. So a thing to be thinking about 
in regards to, you know, like you're saying, probing questions and, and making certain that we're getting all the correct information. Absolutely. Just to just to expand on that a little bit. So we had another patient that came from this program who had the same issues going on with Tylenol PM. And I think we forget, we take it for granted that we have a pretty good grasp of how these medications work. But the reasoning behind this patient was that, well, I take it during the daytime for my pain, and then I take it at nighttime for my insomnia, thinking that somehow the drug could differentiate between those two indications. Um, so just some patient education was needed for that. So Yeah, yeah. That's, and, and I think, like you said, you know, there's so many stories out there. This is just one of many, and you could really write up any case. And I think as practicing pharmacists, we all have our stories and we all can relate to this. But I just think it, I just love this article and how well it highlights so many areas. So again, uh, I think it's just wonderful. Um, so what I'd like to know a little bit more is how well received is this program? So you say you're going out, you're going into homes. How, how are people actually receiving you? And is it, you know, good, bad, indifferent type scenarios? So we'd love to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful question. And I think back at to how uh, naive I was. So as I mentioned, uh, you know, I, I came into this project fresh out of school pretty much. And I thought, you know, everyone's going to love pharmacists and this is going to be received by everyone positively. And, and, you know, in a general sense, that's actually fairly true, but it definitely comes down to how you market and how you deliver these types of services. And um, I kind of think about three three main players when I think about how well it was received. And that's, you know, for one, the patients, uh, for two, the providers, and then three pharmacists, how they receive this. And, and so for the patient end of this, um, actually one of my first tasks that I did was interview patients out in these rural pharmacies to see what their opinions and perceptions were of, um, you know, chronic disease state management led by a pharmacist. And, uh, it was pretty interesting results, uh, you know, especially in rural communities. They, they seem to be very um, tied to the folks that they have established relationships with. Um, and so their comfort level wasn't where I thought it would be. Um, for, for those disease states that maybe they have seen managed, maybe diabetes, um, hypertension, those types of things that, that are a little bit more common, uh, it seemed like they had very positive opinions of that, things where they've experienced pharmacists helping them with that. But other disease states that we would uh, ask them about, they definitely didn't have that same comfort level um, with that. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of interesting. And one of the first phases of this project, you know, was, you know, actually myself and my colleagues uh, doing these home visits. And, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, working at a university. And so it's like trying to explain what we're doing there to patients. You know, we're from a university, so why are you here in my home? And, you know, I already have a doctor and a pharmacist manage my, managing my care. So what are you going to bring to the table? Um but really, after talking with the patients, it, it was really getting your foot in the door um, after having discussions and starting to answer questions about adherence and answer some of the questions their doctors didn't have time to go over. Um, it was very overwhelmingly positive. Um, and, and patients were, were very thankful to have us in the home helping them with some of these issues. Um, Providers, on the other hand, um, especially in the rural communities, as I, as I already mentioned, you know, if we had established relationships, it went fantastic, went great. 
But for the most part, we didn't know most of these doctors. And so when they start getting faxes for recommendations or calls from somebody from a university going, hey, I'm working with your patient here, they're, they're, they were pretty much like, what, what the heck are you doing with my patient? You know, rightfully so, rightfully so. Um, and so we learned a lot from that. You know, we started going out and actually meeting with the providers ahead of time, which um, it did. To, it started to help with that. But again, providers are so inundated with recommendations and things they need to follow up with. Um, it was pretty tough to get uh, recommendations followed up on. And so our solution to that was just take us out of the equation. And so basically what we did um, was have... Uh, patients start going with their community health worker or their social worker so they could be their champion and write down any questions they had uh, and then working with all the local community pharmacists and and, and um, local entities and that that really boosted our results on this project so so relationships already built relationships was a huge part of this um, but yeah one of the biggest uh, surprises I thought was actually the um, that pharmacists uh, tended to be a little bit uncomfortable, um, you know, with these, with these services. And, and a lot of it is really just being, you know, being that detective and doing what we've been doing for years. But once we slapped a label on it and once you're out in the patient home, it became a whole new, you know, experience, which, which I completely understand. But a lot of pharmacists felt like, you know, I've been out of school for 10 to 15 years and I'm not sure I'm, you know, feeling totally comfortable with this, but, uh, but, you know, the way to alleviate that, we worked a lot with our state organizations. We developed a lot of training programs um, and slowly rolled this out with our pharmacists. And and most of them that are in this program are 110% on board now. Uh, they've they've said that it's actually boosted their relationships with both their providers and their uh, patients. So it's been it's been really cool, really neat, uh, neat project. That's wonderful. And I like what you said about the patients, too, and then, you know, having either social workers or others championing um, with them when they go and, you know, speak with their doctors. And I just think that's such an important part of MTM or medication therapy management is that empowering of the patient so that they can have better quality conversations too with their providers. So I, I, I love that that's been highlighted in, in our conversation because um, I do think it's an important part in, in what we do. So it's not always us making the recommendation, but it's empowering the patient to have the conversation. So that's wonderful. So I just, we don't have a lot more time left, but I would love to know a little bit more. And I think you've touched on it somewhat. There's definitely advantages to being in the home and chatting with these patients. And it looks like you do have to probably, um, you know, maybe get through a few barriers for it to be appropriate and and welcomed and and well-received. But I'm assuming that, um, you're just finding such a great benefit to this. So how might a person, a pharmacist who's interested in starting this in their community, how might you think about, you know, the advantages or and or disadvantages of going into the home and how a, a um, pharmacist might get started in doing this? And I, you touched upon it a little bit, but if you have like a little checklist or something. Of- so this is an excellent question. And, um, you know, I think this is one that we're still working to answer, to be honest with you, you know. Uh, unfortunately, these types of services do uh, have a dollar uh, so amount associated with them, usually pharmacist time. And and so that's going to be the, the most um, challenging part. I mean, I would say my shortest uh, workup on a patient was one hour. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, an hour of your pharmacist time for um, for each for a patient, and that's minimum. Um, 
So most of these encounters require, require that large commitment. Uh, but the neat thing is, is I think we're in a unique uh, time in pharmacy and in healthcare in general. And, and I'm hoping that some of these hurdles are overcome as we find new reimbursement models and to keep these uh, sustainable. You know, for now, um, you know, my... I think the biggest thing for pharmacists out there, I would encourage them to reach out to their state pharmacy organizations and associations and their local universities to see, hey, is there is there opportunities for maybe grant funded work around this uh, while we're still figuring out the reimbursement models on this? Get involved in annual conferences to see if you can identify partners, uh, identify those local organizations who maybe already serve those needy populations. I mean, reach out and see if you have organizations where social workers are going out to the home. Uh, I have no, I haven't met one yet that doesn't see the value in having a pharmacist um, partner on this, and just just let them know you're interested and see if they have any ideas of how the pharmacy could help. I mean, each model is going to be a little bit different, and we have several different arms, and each one of them is very unique. Um, but I think again, it's it's kind of us offering up our education as what we can do and how we can can benefit the system as pharmacists. Um, and so, in reality, this new uh, it's kind of new ground for everybody at this point, and we we really need third party payers in on this uh, to to start discussing some of this stuff too. So, uh, if you want to reach out to your to your third party payers and see if they have any uh, suggestions on this, uh, we also have if if there's organizations, there's the CPESN um, that that's another place to to get some information about that. Um, I would just, yeah, I would start educating ourselves and, you know, as things, as things turn around in pharmacy, hopefully we'll find more sustainable models. Uh, but at this time it's, it's just, I wish I had like a playbook to give out there, but really it's really partnering and, uh, it's going to be a team effort. I don't know that any, just one pharmacist is going to make this successful at this time. Well, that's all just great information and, um, you know, I just I just think that this has been just very enlightening on all accounts between um, the patient, the case, and um, just everything, like I said, that was involved in this particular uh, case report and really how you just wrapped everything up and, you know, where we stand and how we can actually um, be able to do this effectively and, um, and also and be able to um, be paid for the work that we do. So um, it does make sense. So thank you. I can't thank you enough for um, spending your time with us today. Um, we'd like to thank you, uh, Dr. Frazier, for joining us and for all of your insights on this topic in regards to unintentional um, medications and MTM, rural pharmacy, and all of these things that we talked about today. So thank it's you. been my pleasure. Thank you, Donna. Thank you to your listeners. Yes, and we'd like to thank our listeners definitely for joining the Senior Care Pharmacist Radio Podcast and listening in. This is Donna Bartlett. I'm your host today. And um, just thank you for your interest in senior care, everybody. Um, it's important, and we're all in this together. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.